Hey folks, welcome back to the office. Barry and I are continuing our conversation about post-feminism and commercial advertising. And as opposed to non-profit advertising, I suppose. That, anyway, that, is, a- that is a thing. Now that's true. Mm-hmm. Most notably the ASPCA. Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin and I'm here to ruin your day. Anyway, so. She's going to remember you though. She is. <laughs> Used to make my dog watch those commercials just to let him know how good he had it. <laughs> anyway. So Barry, what are we talking about? What is part three of our conversation today? Oh man, I was drinking water right when you said that. That was mean. All right, the so if you haven't listened in order, we're talking about post-feminist discourse in advertising, and then kind of talking about how that manifests itself in media in general, or ways in which we can see the same thing in in media. And so we're working off of a paper called "Selling Feminism." How Female Empowerment Campaigns Employ Post-Feminist Discourses from Casey Wendells and Sarah Champlin, of, uh, among other authors. And we are going through the list. They came up with a list of post-feminist rhetoric that it makes up kind of a fingerprint of, of post-feminism in our media that you can then hold up to different pieces of media and compare with with what you're seeing right and 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 hopefully help you to correctly identify when you are seeing post-feminist discourse as opposed to feminist rhetoric and so if if that made minimal sense to you you should probably go back to our first and maybe second episode on this topic this is the third the principles we're talking about today are self-surveillance and a new lens on the embrace of femininity right so the the idea here with uh, well starting with self surveillance uh, the idea here is th- i mean this is something that feminism has been contending with for a long time in general that the, this societal influence on women to continually surveil themselves and keep kind of keep in check all sorts of aspects of their lives and and so from the from a different paper from an author named Gill, we we read, no area of a woman's life is immune from the requirement to self-survey and work on the self. That This is the idea of self-surveillance as manifest in post-feminism. And this, this extends from everything including women's bodies, women's weight, which is obviously related, but related to that muscle tone, any grooming, any attire, posture, performance, performance in traditionally uh, feminine roles such as mother, friend, or lover, in communication, behavior, even extends outside of the individual themselves and, and others' perceptions of you as a female presenting person. So. The the idea of self-surveillance as a part of post-feminist discourse, remember post-feminism is this idea that we are trying to embody feminist ideals without the political consequence and without the political teeth that feminism and feminist rhetoric actually requires, right? Because you are going against the grain with feminism and post-feminism says, can't we have that without going against the grain though? Right, it operates from the premise that those needs are no longer there, right? The exigence for feminism is no longer relevant. Right. The starting cause is no longer relevant. And so we can still engage in these superficial 
feminist desires of you know economic empowerment or things like that i say superficial in the context of like as opposed to redressing grievances right 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 right. well said well said so then self-surveillance works its way in here because self-surveillance becomes the solution to a lot of these existing problems that women face in society and as we talked about in the last episode a lot of the problems that are presented by these advertisements because if you're going to if you're an advertiser and you're going to try and have a pseudo feminist message you have to you have to bring up some sort of problem in society that as a common thing you're appealing to women and trying to appeal to them with a a feminist bent you have to appeal to them based on a societal problem but because it's post-feminism that is the safe choice for advertisers they are not about to address where that problem came from the root cause who is the bad guy here at, at right. the end of the day, with post-feminism, the bad guy is the individual. You are your own worst enemy here. And so self-surveillance offers a solution to these problems that the advertisers are presenting to us, right? So mm-hmm. uh, self-surveillance encourages women to monitor, discipline, and surveil themselves, and, and ultimately shifts focus away from critiquing structures. So a really famous ad I think I mentioned it in our first episode briefly but uh, Dove makes some big strides in this area where did you ever see the the body sketches campaign this this commercial are you familiar with what I'm talking about I am in the most unfortunate way oh boy I learned about it through parody oh boy (laughs) yeah so why don't you describe what it is and then I'll tell you like the parody through which I first encountered this. Perfect. So the, the for those unfamiliar with it or have forgotten this campaign, this is this is the campaign that eventually turns into the most watched YouTube ad of all time. And 2013, Dove puts out an ad and it's it's like a mini documentary. It's it's presented as a work of nonfiction and it's just trying to document this sort of social experiment before social media turns social experiments into something that's just nauseating. If anything, this was the precursor to nauseating social social experiments. Rest assured, if you ever hear someone say in a video that they conducted a social experiment, they have no idea what the hell an internal review board is or a human subject review board or any of those ethical guidelines. So, and this yeah. dismisses all of that just the same. This is just as much of the invalid social experiment as, as any other. But the, the premise is you have this forensic sketch artist behind a curtain and a woman will walk in and sit on a stool on the other side of the curtain. So the the forensic sketch artist supposedly has not seen this person, and this person describes themselves to him. And he sketches out, based on their descriptions of themselves, what that person looks like. Then... A, a, we are told through through the film. I'll, I'll call it a film because it's a, a long form ad. We are told through the. It is a long ad. Yeah, yeah it's really long. It's like eight minutes long or something like that. I, I would have to go back and look, but it's 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 it is a short film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we are yeah. told by the film that, unbeknownst to us, when we're we're getting this first bit of premise, 
that the women before they describe themselves to the forensic artist are in a waiting room with another person and they're never told who this other person is it's just another person waiting in line to go talk to the forensic artist and they're never told what this other person's role is in this social experiment they're just given time to sit in the room together and they're not uh, supposedly they're not encouraged to talk to each other they're not encouraged to like talk about anything in particular they're just in the room together some of them supposedly it's implied that they do talk to each other have conversations whatever so after the initial woman goes out and describes herself to the sketch artist she leaves then the other person in the waiting room comes comes in and without not uh, still on the other side of the curtain describe the same person to the sketch artist so this is like a first person's perspective versus a third person perspective right and then we bring out the original woman after the two sketches are done and we have the two sketches side by side and we we film the reaction of our originating woman as she looks at the two different images one was self-described and one was described by another person who whom she had never met before and the the implied message here and well it's not really implied they say it out loud the the one that is self-described is conventionally less attractive of a sketch than Mm -hmm. the sketch described by the third party. And the overall message in the end is, wow, I didn't realize my self-esteem sucked so bad that I view myself this way. Like, I didn't know that other people saw me as beautiful. I guess I downplay myself too much, right? I see, yeah. So tell me about your parody version of this. I'm I'm, now my interest is (laughs) peaked. Oh, man. Okay, so it's the same kind of thing, only instead of instead of women, it's men who are the subject matter. Yeah. And I feel bad even bringing this up. So I'm, I'm beginning to think that that's an appropriate response that you're having right now. But let, keep yeah, going. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So I am not going to withhold like, any shame from you. Don't worry, you'll get the full bore of it. I'd expect no less from you, Barry, especially since I don't pay. Anyway, so no, it was it was like sketch artists. It, it, it was balls. It was testicles. It was <laughs> it was men describing their balls to a forensic artist oh, to the Dove did the analog for the Dove Real Beauty campaign artist, and then they like sketch it, and then I think like if memory serves they have someone else it might have been like a romantic partner like a wife or someone like that who then like describes their balls and like it's it's the it's the same thing it's the <laughs> this is how you believe your balls are and this is how other people see your balls <laughs> and it's it's just and i learned about that first that was my first introduction to so this. without context you're seeing this thing <laughs> yeah that's horrendous yeah, yeah, how without, did you finish yeah. this how did you finish watching that you were in a bad place, was, weren't you? Are you okay? <laughs> you have come a long way. So, <laughs> Dr. C, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this. <laughs> no, it, it's because, like, you don't know what they're talking about at first. It is in that same, like, mm-hmm, misleading, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, would I, you know, for X, Y, or Z, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, you don't know until the end that it's about testicles. And then, and then you do. And then you're <laughs> like, what the hell? And you see that it's, like, Dove ad parody or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like that's that's pretty obvious but yeah so it's just 
<laughs> so bad because then when you actually see the video like the original one like you say the eight minute long one like it's it's there's sincerity there right, right? right there's right. like you know contrived as it is it is you know people ha- appear to be having a genuine a, a real genuine reaction right, right. a moment right. and and whatnot and then you know in my mind i because i saw the other one first i'm thinking <laughs> testicles like that's that's kind of floating about in my brain <laughs> so well yeah. I, I to to steer it back to a, a less shameful part of your life the <laughs> the the ad i think is really interesting in how it's crafted i think uh, i bring up this ad with my students all the time as an example of how authenticity can be communicated without the need for authenticity to actually be a a tangible thing that existed in the first place that like these people's reactions could be scripted and they could not be and the effect is the same the the same emotions are aroused in the audience the same situation for the audience the the message is is felt and heard at the same time right Uh, but more so in line with this idea of self-surveillance the end result of the commercial is a a cue for women or a call to action for women to look at yourself better that actually it not just not just pay attention to the way you look but pay attention to the way you feel the way you look like look you need the real problem is you don't like yourself and you need to do something about that and you have some labor to do on yourself right and and all brought to you by dove but it's packaged in a way that makes it feel like yeah actually I feel good about being told that now my job is to add on this other task for myself, right? Yeah, and and it completely ignores why these things might would happen, right? Yeah. Which, in the context of the video, it wouldn't have taken much for like an interviewer to have said like, well, you seem to be, be a little harsh on yourself. Why do you think that is? And then they could give like a one sentence answer or something along those lines, right? We're not looking for like a documentary level response here. Mm-hmm. But even saying something along the lines of like, well, you know, when I was a kid, X, Y, or Z, or, you know, maybe it was my parents, or maybe it was my siblings, or maybe it was my friend community, or maybe it was the ads I saw on TV, or things like that. Right. Even just a, a throwaway line or two to reference those larger superstructures, right? Yeah. That people have to engage with would have steered in that direction, but that would also call into mind the culpability of companies like Dove. Right. right? Exactly. Part of the beauty right. industry that created the insecurities in our society that drive a lot of this, right? And feed off of the the yep. patriarchal uh, promise that uh, women who are conventionally attractive will have power and protection. And the further away from that you deviate, the less power and protection. And it's a false premise to begin with, but it's it's one that's yep. kind of embedded and then capitalized on by by advertisers and companies that produce beauty products. The the I think there's also some really interesting dynamics at play with the commercial that help with this rhetoric. That I, I don't think that this commercial would have been nearly as authoritative without it being I think the fact that this guy is this guy the sketch artist is considered a forensic sketch artist he's not a cartoonist 
He's right. He's not a caricaturist. Right. He he's not a, a, a fine arts realist painter even. He excels in this form of pseudoscience that we kind of engage with in the criminal justice system that the criminal justice system has been propagandized for decades and decades as this science driven objectively viewing machine that can right. suss out a suspect and know exactly their guilt and culpability through things like a sketch artist right and which mm-hmm. yeah go for it I was going to say which reminds me of something I've heard from time and time again from various sources including people I know and like you know, criminal justice education who say things like who point out that eyewitness testimony is exceedingly unreliable right when it comes to trying to spot or remember somebody right, right? so just the premise of having someone describe you right is not good right 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 epistemologically speaking. totally and i also think that a major part of this and a for some folks might be a more subtle part of the rhetoric here involving this character of the sketch artist is that it is a man that men are generally and culturally yes. in in hegemonic society or hegemonic power structures considered non-emotional, not engaging in this, not needing to engage in self-surveillance because they are already from an objectively secure spot in society and on a personal level. They are not. They are more accurate in the way that they view things. They they say it how it is. They view things the way they are. They're not as clouded by emotion, and so it is a man doing the sketch because we can rely on a man doing the sketching for us to be right. to be more accurate in all of this that maleness and the authoritative criminal justice science are going to give us an accurate representation of these things when really like look the the sketch artist is in on the game as well he knows that the yeah. job is to make the first sketch look less attractive Yes. And so he is yeah. going he is listening for ways to make this face that he's sketching look less attractive when when it's the first time. When the second person also, comes through, he's listening mm-hmm. for ways to embellish this face and make it look more conventionally attractive. And in a way that's going to appeal to the original person. Right. 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 In order to evoke an emotional response if that is a genuine response that they're having. Exactly. So if we if we if we genuinely do as a sketch artist, it, uh, let's let's assume that the premise is actually presented as it is, that he he doesn't actually get to see this woman beforehand and is trying to do this just through descriptions alone, which is questionable from the beginning. The, right. that like he will get to hear all the things that he considers insecurities of this woman that he can mm-hmm. omit or uh, quote unquote fix in the next sketch that you know like there's no way that the either person making the descriptions are describing at a detail clear enough for this sketch artist to have every stroke of their pencil laid out for him objectively mm-hmm. right like he, he is sure. he is filling in the gaps because he's asking non-artists to tell an artist how to draw a face and that's just not right <laughs> there's there's a lot of missing information there that he has to make up along the way there, there is a lot of rigor that's missing the other thing that comes to mind when talking about self-surveillance and this idea of, of like meta perceptions right that is to say perceiving how other people perceive us mm-hmm. that kind of thing is the gym help me out here you follow Okay, so <laughs> I, like, you know, millions of Americans, subject myself to the torture that is going to a public gym. Oh, sure, yeah. Right. 
and gyms are fascinating to me uh, and, and this is not an original thought this is something I picked up from other people as well this idea of you're in a gym you're in constant surveillance yes right yep. you are in constant surveillance because not just out of a, a desire to know if anyone's watching you which people aren't typically speaking yeah. except for me I am watching everyone to make sure that no one's watching me. right yep of course but <laughs> but the way that they're structured right these public gyms particularly with like the walls of mirrors and yes. things like that like anyone is visible from almost any other part of the gym mm-hmm. right unless you have like a two-tier format where you know there's like some stuff up top and people at the yeah. bottom that kind of, of thing otherwise typically speaking like the gym that i go to is like one level and you can see just about everybody from wherever you are in the gym and you can see into most of the like other like sections other rooms that are they don't have like they have doorways but not doors yeah. from almost anywhere else in the okay gym. so you go to planet and fitness we get it we get it we get it <laughs> i'm not trying to give them any money <laughs> Fuck them. unless they want to sponsor me so <laughs> so anyway but like and i get the reasons for having those mirrors right like uh, entire walls of mirrors it's so that you can watch your form if you're doing free sure. weights and things like that but it really does compound whatever insecurity that you're having right yeah in that moment for sure you are in you are incentivized to be hyper aware of your own situation because there are going to be people in there who are prolific at what they're doing mm-hmm. right that this is this is the thing that they do it's this they sleep and they go to work and if that isn't going to the gym then it you know it's they still spend a lot of time there anyway so like it it ingratiates a kind of neuroses in yeah. you a little bit yeah and so and that carries with you beyond that particular moment feel, right? yeah, yeah. after you're outside the gym and all that kind of stuff so yeah that sort of at self-surveillance that hyper awareness of meta perception we have these spaces that absolutely sort of facilitate that i was trying to think of any others that come to mind in particular i think the classroom might be one but i don't know i have to chew on that a little bit it more. can be yeah i just think yeah. in the end with this particularly in regard to uh post-feminist uh rhetoric i think the the this traditional idea of women having to self surveil this is not this is not new a, a new product that post feminism oh, sure, has yeah. brought about right but it is something that post feminism has adopted in order to help explain away how we get through these societal problems that are that we are willing to talk about through a post-feminist lens uh, there there has to be a way out if we're going to constantly be talking about the problems mm-hmm. that are in our society. Well, it, it co-ops a thing that feminism in its many iterations has struggled against, right? The idea of being defined from the outside. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. So like with each iteration of feminism, some different version of you are who you are and that should come from the inside and that these larger structures, while things that we have to navigate and deal with should not be determining what your capabilities are, or what your appearances are. Right? Yeah. And then it sounds like you know this this post-feminist perspective on the self-surveillance is that well i mean no you do have to deal with those things and we'll give you the tools exactly exactly for being able to navigate this this the sketches campaign really highlights an artful reframing of the issue of beauty because it says look there's this problem and that that generally speaking women in our society experience and with this problem, the, the, the real problem is 
women just don't feel good about themselves. Why? They just because they they just need to we're not don't don't worry about why. Like it's just it's just a thing that you need to overcome so that you can really feel good about yourself. And and I I've heard mm-hmm. folks say, you know, like I don't see what the problem is. Like they're just trying to make people they they're just trying to help women feel beautiful. And the the problem I like to bring up is that look, there's nothing wrong about having self-confidence. In fact, it's a good thing. It's something that we're all aiming for. We all want to feel good about ourselves, or at least once we've over- yeah, once I've overcome yeah. my own doom and gloom, I, I occasionally actually want to feel good. You know, it's it's a goal yeah. for for <laughs> it's a general human trait that we want to feel okay, right? We want to feel secure. We want to feel safe. We want to feel good about who we are. That's not the problem. The problem is that this insecurity about whether or not women are beautiful and what kind of value they have in society and what kind of value they feel for themselves in regard to this question of beauty is not solved in this commercial but this commercial is pretending to have solved that problem or pretending to have provided a solution to that problem and in the end they didn't get rid of the beauty problem the obsession with beauty is not the problem in the end the obsession with beauty that causes insecurity is actually the goal still you just got to see the beauty in yourself the real problem is you did it you you are doing this to yourself you are beautiful and you just don't believe it the goal is still beauty we just yeah yeah you just need to fix yourself so that you see it like the the industry cuts you and then sells you a band-aid yep instead of asking why the fuck you cut me yeah (laughs) right right the next one is connected to that and the the next principle that's discussed is this idea of the new lens on the embrace of femininity and that's that embracing society's definition of feminine beauty is considered in this post-feminist rhetoric as a feminist choice the body remains the defining feature of femininity and from the article they say not only are women objectified but they must now also understand their own objectification as pleasurable and self-chosen and from the 1991 paper written the kind of the formative commodity feminism they say self-fetishization supposedly offers women an avenue to empowerment and that that kind of embodies this post-feminist attitude towards femininity in the marketplace of society make sure you're getting the best price and the way to do that is to improve the window dressing yeah 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 Right. So we we have different campaigns that end up presenting these sorts of things as the solution. Questions that our that Wendell's proposes as ways to help identify this within an advertisement or a piece of media or messaging. Does the ad showcase women not typically seen in ads yet still conform to heteronormative femininity or standard beauty ideals such as long hair, flawless skin? In, stylish clothing and so on and so we, we we end up seeing ads like Victoria's Secret's latest campaigns in the last couple of years have been about body inclusivity but those bodies that are included uh-huh. in their ads still 
maintain a base level of traditionally feminine, conventionally attractive traits that have always aligned with this form of traditional femininity and present it as the ideal that you basically without saying it overtly there is only so far you are allowed to go away from conventional beauty standards yeah it's that's been a critique i've seen of, of the body positivity and body inclusive advertising efforts and that is that it still reinforces a right way to be different right right Yep. Yeah. If we go back to our Billy commercials about hair removal, almost all of those bodies that are presented in that campaign are often slim. There is some some diversity in its representation amongst across race and gender conformity, but nonetheless, the right. beauty standards that are maintained in, uh, and embedded in the bodies that are presented are bodies that end up containing major aspects of feminine ideals, you know, traditional feminine ideals, for sure. Yeah, well, and, and in the plus-size iterations of, of these sort of ad campaigns, you also see, like, a proclivity for particularly hourglass-shaped figures. Right. Right? Like, it's because they're still emphasizing these certain aspects of the body that we code as being, you know, what defines a woman and things like that, right? Yep. Bearing in mind that that is not how all or even, you know, a, a significant amount of, of women who present in a feminine way or folks who present in a feminine way don't have those configurations mm-hmm. in terms of the body composition. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. So, in the end, post-feminism presents this idea of conforming to traditional beauty standards as an empowering choice, that you you have the choice to do these things that are what we've always been telling you to do. And... Only you can fight forest fires. (laughs) To a certain extent, yes. Something along those lines, right. right. It's hard to not keep drawing this stuff back to matters of like race and class and stuff. But if we're being honest, all these sort of things do intersect. That's one reason why I have always appreciated Dolly Parton Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit. Because her her aesthetic is intentionally, as she puts it, trash. (laughs) Right? Now, she certainly conforms to certain notions about what it means to be feminine in a public way, absolutely, right? Between, like, the cosmetic surgery that she's had done and things like that, and, and I'm not, you know, disparaging that. But decidedly, her aesthetic has been something that was not, that is not beauty standard. Like, we aren't seeing models take a Dolly Parton approach to, like, clothing. Sure. You follow sure. me? Right? That kind of over-the-top, almost drag-esque, in some cases, mm-hmm. iterations of her of her appearance, which also sort of gets to, like, even the, the role of drag in these, these situations, for people that are not familiar, because, you know, drag is in the news from time to time. People talk about, like, drag shows and grooming and whatever else and things like that, and, you know, as though these, as though predatory behaviors are being, are occurring at these shows, which is not the case. Sure. I've not seen any evidence to suggest that. But part of the reason behind drag, whether that's as drag queens or drag kings, is to point out just how hyperbolic these efforts are. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's to highlight an exa- the exaggeration, through exaggeration, just how, at some point, ludicrous our efforts to fit into a particular expression of a gender identity through the commodification of these, of these services and products and our engagement with them, just how wild that can be. I mean... Most of us know some story of someone who acts a little too, in this case, referring to 
uh, female presenting bodies uh, just a little too over the top, right? With their makeup or with their clothing or something along those lines. And I don't know. So in that case, you know, drag performance serve a valuable function in terms of highlighting these things and sort of making us sit with our own mm-hmm. our own choices about how we choose to engage with right or this this particular industry yep yep and I, I i think in the end it's it's interesting to see and to be confronted with how these sorts of messages end up they are framed as pro-social but do not deliver on the pro-social benefits that yeah. are implied or promised, right? That in the end, we can't, much like you have said, in the end, we can't expect Victoria's Secret to actually go the full mile in solving problems of representation and, you know, not just representation, but also like issues regarding or or fixing the problems of the the fashion industry and and how it has shaped our culture in ways that are ill-informed at the least but also in, incredibly harmful and and pervasive and i think it's i think it's kind of as thankful as i am as representation has changed over time in our media i think this is a really good example of how representation itself is a low bar that if if increasing representation for for folks of different sorts is important and is needed in our media if that's where we stop if that's the end goal then Ooh, we we got yeah. we we are leaving a lot on the table, right? We we have decided not mm-hmm. to cash in on the full value of improving our media. Yeah, representation is a tool; it is not a goal. Right, right, right. The goal is to move the needle socially, socially, culturally, politically, economically, those sort of things. But it is a means to do so. It is not the end goal in and of itself. And, and I um, think wrapping it back around to the beginning point that you made in our previous episode, that this is one of the reasons why making progressive change is, is a constant effort. That if you, if you sit and rest, hey, look, mm-hmm. look how things get co-opted so easily. Like, oh... Okay, yeah. as a company, what I did before, uh, you know, like let's take Victoria's Secret as our running example. What what I did before is now considered offensive. Oh, oh, you're saying it's always been offensive? Cool, no problem. I can pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're right. flexible enough to realize. Oh, you're going to spend money on someone who has a messaging that is less offensive. Cool, we can dumb down our message. We don't have to. We don't have to stay the same we can we can conform to some aspects of it and make you believe mm-hmm. that we are now representing the thing that is important to you we hear you. yeah yep yeah, there you go that's it right yeah. that kind of that kind of foolishness yeah. well it also it it also gets to this idea that we have to kind of trouble the configurations of of the feminine and and, and the masculine so we've talked a little bit before in a previous episode about articulation or the theory of articulation and the idea that we combine these ideas together that do not intrinsically belong together. And the example that comes to mind for me is like dove skin lotion. Yeah. We've been beating up on dove, so why not, you know, continue? Fertile ground. But, you know, right? Like, 
now i don't use any kinds of lotion mostly because or I, once in a while i do but like mostly because i just don't think about it although my wife will sometimes ambush me and put lotion <laughs> on my elbows because they get like aggressively like bumpy and and ashy and stuff but the idea is that lotion skin lotion is typically marketed towards women not exclusively sure. but most often For sure. right and it goes hand in hand with this idea of like women are supposed to be soft physically yep right and men are not men are supposed to be like rugged and tough and and what have you and that in and of itself is an articulation of masculinity and femininity that is largely arbitrary right there are there are women with you know hard tough calloused skin and there are men whose you know skin is soft and and maybe a little more sensitive and you know something is needed for them so that they don't have ashiness or 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 rash or whatever my point is that the in the bracing or in the selling of an idea of the feminine it isn't just enough to to wonder like are they being inclusive about who it is they're putting under this umbrella mm-hmm. right of the different types of bodies of feminine perceived bodies that they are appealing to but also why is that the feminine configuration why is that the masculine configuration why did old spice need to use a half-naked feller on a horse to sell me body wash yeah right right right, right. so yeah, it's 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 all that sort of stuff happening in term yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm advertising overall has that. had a long history of misogyny embedded into its into its messaging largely because it's it's negotiating the the two different roles of both reflecting the society that they're talking to because they they need to seem relatable and then also they have to manufacture a cultural a cultural tool to shift culture in their favor right so they 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 are trying to take a value message that we currently believe in and then modify it a little bit so that it, the end result is we buy their product or we adhere to them. Or when we're in the market, finally, to buy a thing, mm-hmm. they're the ones that we think about. And yeah. the the consequences of that is that, you know, over, over the years, they have reflected and also manipulated culture regarding femininity to be, especially from our, our contemporary point of view extremely offensive and extremely misogynistic right there's a long history and oftentimes those advertisements are used to as an example of bad advertising like women were portrayed in this way that was sexist men were portrayed in this way which was misogynistic and 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 harmful but but i i i I think it's important to note that we are in a time and a place where the cultural message is still being like the technique of manipulating the cultural message has not changed. And this is precisely why 20 years from now, 50 years from now, people will be looking at our advertising going, can you believe what people were accepting as advertising messages and were lauding as you you know they were getting all they were getting all twisted out of out of shape over the the jenner pepsi ad when they were accepting full bore all these other messages that were horrible and that's because advertising is not trying to be pro-social they're just trying to get you to believe they're pro-social that's all that's that's the bar that they're trying to jump over yeah, yeah, they need you to not be bothered by it for 30 seconds, long enough for the jingle to register in, you know, in your brain. <laughs> right. And then, you know. They, yeah, they yeah. own some real estate in your head, and that's what's important. 
Yeah. And they don't really care if you give it up later because at some point you'll come back. Right? You kind of have to. There you go. If you're going to engage in, in media consumption, you kind of have to because, and this is a, a, a point worth bringing up that I don't think we've talked about much, but like you can have commercials without like TV programming. You can't have TV programming without commercials. And if anyone's wondering, like, what do you mean you can have commercials without TV? Home Shopping Network. Yeah, welcome. Welcome. Right? Like, just 24-hour uh, commercials and all that Entire kind of YouTube stuff. channels are based off of unboxing products and letting people see what, what oh, they're yeah. potentially going to consume themselves. Yep, because if you aren't generating ad revenue in our current business model or if we're doing this kind of stuff you're not going to make any money therefore you can't you're not going to have any viability so yeah you're always going to come back even if you don't want i mean to. if you've ever been skittish about buying a carpet cleaner and you turn to youtube for help you will find an entire world of media makers that are doing nothing but creating impromptu ads about these things and each mm-hmm. one of them says here's why i'm an objective source while while right. i am right, also right. supplied this a carpet cleaner for free by the company because they know it's going to be good exposure for them <laughs> oh yeah it's a good time yeah, yeah. always a good time yep yep it is an inescapable hamster wheel of misogyny and derision pretty good we should put that on a there shirt. we go <laughs> alright then folks well that was uplifting so on that positive note we'll catch y'all next week and of course if you want you know more of this kind of foolishness you can find me on Cruz underscore PhD on Twitter TikTok and Instagram as well as on nope nope that's it because there's this and you've already found that so that's all there is and you can email us <laughs> at GACRUZPHD at gmail.com I am so tired I need to go take there a nap there is nothing else <sighs> yeah there is nothing else. There is no war in Bossing Say. Anyway, all right. So we'll follow up with uh, part four in our conversation yep. next week. That'll be the last. Is that the last one? That is the last one. Okay. All right. All right, folks. We'll see you next week in the office. Bye.